Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Maybe we don't think about it as much because it's like these passing moments that are super impactful. It happens to kids, happens to adults, happens to all of us. And that's being the new kid. That, that time when you are the brand new one in a room and you walk in and everybody knows each other and they're laughing and they're hugging and you walk in and you stand out like this huge monster sore thumb. And you're like, okay, how do I work my way into this situation? So every extrovert in the room right now is like, hey, no problem. I use my charm. I use my, my finesse. I say, hey, and you jump right into groups. And every extrovert is saying, this is my worst nightmare. Dear God, please don't make it happen again. Depending on how God made you, you either see a room of strangers as, this is the greatest opportunity, these strangers are future friends, I can't wait to be part of this party, and maybe you're saying, I can't stand it. Well, regardless, even for extroverts, being the new person who sticks out is hard. I'm extroverted, and I I enjoy large group settings, but at the same time, I like walking into a large group of people, or at least I know somebody. Somebody to talk to, someone to sit by, someone to be able to at least have a conversation with. Maybe you've been new at work, and work can be a really weird place because they're all sectioned off, and the new person at work makes it extra hard because you go every day to a place, you're trying to learn a new job while learning new faces, and all while you're doing it at the same time, it's super awkward. You know, you get to a new job, maybe it's in a new city or a new town, you, you don't even know which way to drive home or where's the closest quick trip because goodness knows we're not by a quick trip. I personally am going to die. I need quick trip coffee and food stat. Like quick trips are like got to be by something. At least know where you're going. A familiarity, if you will. If you're new in school, if you're the new kid in school, it's terrible, especially when you get into an older time of school. So if you ever had to move when you were like in junior high or high school or later elementary, and you walk into a school and everybody knows each other. We've been going to school since we've been in kindergarten. Oh, I remember going to your birthday party and they show pictures and you're like, I wasn't here. And so you just kind of, <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. That feeling's terrible. Now, now put this into your story. You can all relate in somehow, some way, whether it's school, whether it's a job, whether it's being new in a neighborhood. Have you ever been new in a neighborhood where everybody has this, we like this big word, clicky, and you're trying to like meet your neighbors or like hang out and you invite, but you just can't seem to kind of work your way into a relationship. No matter what it is, it's terrible. It's terrible to be in that place where no matter what the situation, you are the outsider. I had this situation growing up. My family moved when I was going into fourth grade, the summer of going into fourth grade. I moved from Milwaukee. Um, my, my home was in Milwaukee, so like I played on cement. Grass was something that was like 10 by 10. There wasn't a lot of room and, uh, for you know, grass because we lived in the city. And we moved out to New Berlin, which now is a whole new ecosphere in and of itself. We move out, there's grass everywhere. There's like grass and trees. I'm like, what are those things in the sky? And my mom's like, oh, those are called stars. I'm like, that's wonderful. You know, like, everything's changing in a new environment. 
And I loved it. It was so cool. It's like the raddest thing I've ever gone through because now like that transition was very natural to me until I went to school. I went to school. That was the first day and was trying to get my way in, trying to meet some people. And no, they have nothing to do with it. I was an outsider. I, I remember going to lunch and trying to sit by people. I had nobody to sit by. And I sat down at the table by myself to eat lunch by myself. Now, yeah, there are people around because they had to sit by me, but it's a terrible feeling. And as I'm eating lunch one time, I, I had hot thermos. Remember the old 1980s thermoses that came with every one of your sweet G.I. Joe, Holly Hobby, strawberry shortcake lunch boxes, right? The little thermos. So I had my little thermos. I had hot SpaghettiOs. Mom had made them in the morning. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, nom, 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 SpaghettiOs. And I tipped it and spilled all over me. The new kid just dumped SpaghettiOs all over his pants. Let's just say that people were not kind. They were laughing, making fun of me. Nobody helped. I felt even more like an outsider. And this just kept perpetuating over and over until the class bully decided to take attention to me. The bully uh, came up to me and would shove me. And this was during the times of WWF wrestling called now WWE. And so we had Hulk Hogan. We had all, you know, Andre the Giant. If you guys are like, yeah, if you don't know, look it up. It's such a great time. But <laughs> so, so I'm growing up to this era of just awesome, like cool guys. And he thought it was super cool to show everyone how he could do wrestling moves on the new guys. And so he would take me and like put me in a headlock and start punching me, but not like ha-ha, but like was punching me. And so it didn't look like it was serious, but it actually it hurt. And this bully kept bullying me and kept pushing me and shoving me until I came to my breaking point. Everybody has a breaking point at some places at some time. Everything was culminating of how I was treated, the SpaghettiOs, the, the beating up, everything was coming to this moment. Now, if you've ever seen the movie The Christmas Story, when Ralphie gets onto Chet, Far uh, Chet Farkas, and, and he, Scott Farkas, sorry, and he starts pounding on him. That was me in my mind. I wanted to take Scott Farkas and just start pounding him over and over on his face and take out all of my pain and my aggression and start to say, if I can beat up the big kid, I will be popular. The truth is, none of that happened. I shoved him. And as I cocked back to lay it right into his face, a teacher grabbed my arm and put me to the principal's office. But I stood up to him. All of a sudden, the outsider became the inside. Nobody stands up to him. Nobody does that. And it took me getting into a schoolroom fight to be able to be accepted. Think of the extremes of this. Now, everybody here in school is like, see, Dad, I told you I was supposed to punch that kid. No, I'm not saying that, guys. <laughs> What I am saying is, why wasn't I just accepted? Why in the world of kiddom do you have to go to such extremes? Just like the movie The Christmas Story, he had to go to that extreme of these kids getting picked on over and over again. He had to do something violent, not good, not the right answer, to even feel welcome. All of your stories, when you have been the outsider, I want you to think for a second. What would it look like in your time when you were an outsider if you were just simply welcomed in? If someone would have not made you the outsider, but as soon as you walked in the door, someone had a heart to say, I want you to know that you're accepted here, the way you are, the way God made you. No pretenses, nothing added to it. You just are welcome. 
I think in all of our stories, if we were welcomed, there would not have been the tension and the hurt that probably drummed up as you're thinking through your own stories and I through mine. The fact that we were outsiders and we were not welcomed in caused a divide that made us feel broken, isolated, and alone. And that's where we're going to pick up our story today. In this new series, The Coming King, we're going to look at Christmas from a different perspective. We're going to look at it through the eyes and of different characters, but perhaps in a way you haven't thought before. For many of us, the Christmas story is a common story that we've heard and we've read. For some of you, this is a new story. Perhaps you haven't heard the biblical story or the version of when Jesus came to earth. And we're going to kick off today beginning right in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. So everybody who has their Bibles, Bible apps, everyone at home right now, if you want to pull out your iPads or your phones or whatever you're using, I always encourage you, read the Word of God for yourself. I could be completely making this up. I want you to trust the Word of God because that is proven, it is written, it is going to last way beyond anybody in this room. The Word of God is truth, and I encourage you, friends, read the Word for yourself. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. That was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth, the Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for a baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. Firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placing him in a manger because there's no guest room available for them. If you know the Christmas story and familiar, all these images are popping into your mind at this point. All the stories, all the nativities, all the pageants, all these things that you've been seeing. Perhaps you got to be the little sheep in the in the child's pageant. Or you, know, or you were the shepherd hitting the sheep with the, with the cane when you shouldn't have, and all those wonderful things that happen at our Christmas time. But I want to go backwards to start to fill you in into the history of what's happening. Joseph, with, an ex- with a pregnant Mary, is going to the town of Bethlehem for the census. Rome is in control of the area. The Roman Empire spread much further than, obviously, where the city of Rome is now. Rome controlled a lot of territories. And what they wanted to do at that time is to say, okay, We want to know who is under our control and where are these people from. We're going to count them. We're going to start to see what lineage that they're in. They wanted to basically categorize all of their conquerings and all their lands. And at this time, Israel was under that control. So Rome ruled, but from afar. Now, there were local rulers that were there who were representatives of Rome. But what's unique about the Roman Empire is they allowed communities and they allowed cultures to be able to keep some of their culture. For the most part, they were allowed to do their own worship, allowed to worship their own gods, have their own traditions, their own cultures. But what they had to do is they had to submit to Roman authority and pay taxes to Rome. So the government of Rome was in control of the area, and there were Roman plus local control or governments that were in each of these areas. This was true of Israel as well. Joseph and Mary were not Roman. They were Jewish. And so what they had to do is they had to go back to the place of origin which they were from. They were living in Nazareth, but they had to go back to the town of Bethlehem. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, which we sing often and often, that's the place. So they go back, and I want you to think for a second. They had an 80-mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem for a census. We just had the 2020 census. 
after 85,000 reminders, I need to take my census in the mail, by phone, and all that, I went online. I logged in online, and the census took me approximately three minutes. Answered a couple of questions. This is who's living with me. Here's my origin. Government saying, okay, we want to kind of see where our population is. Took me three minutes. This is an 80-mile journey, not by car nor plane, by foot and by animal. So for everybody who is now pilgriming out and have gone to different areas, they all had to go back to their town of origin to be able to be counted. Also a way to find out family lineage and who is connected to who. Think of it as an Ancestry.com of the old days, okay? So all of this is happening, and in our time, it's simple and quick, but in their time, everything was different. Obviously, there's no internet. Obviously, there's no travel that we have today. So this was a very, very large deal. Now, to all my sisters who have been with child, let's just say I can't imagine this is pleasant. This, this pilgrimage of 80 miles by any sort of animal would not be a very pleasant thing. It's going to take time. There's lots of bumping. It's not going to be a comfortable trip. And so Mary now is in the middle of this pilgrimage back to Joseph's, Joseph's home place. So we find out that Joseph in his family line comes from the line of King David. King David is a new name to you. In the Old Testament, King David is the most herald, the most uh, hero-esque of all the kings of Israel. He was held in the highest of regard, known as the greatest king of all time. And so to be in the lineage of David was a very, very, very big deal. The fact that he had any sort of ancestry such as him would be huge. And so here he's going back, back to the town of Bethlehem, because he is in the lineage of David. Now, Kenneth Bailey states in his book, uh, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, he says this, The family of David was so famous in Bethlehem that local folk apparently called the town the city of David. Being of that family, Joseph would have been welcome anywhere in town. So let's think for a second. In our stories, in our pageants, you have Mary and Joseph. Mary is huge, about to pop, right? She's maybe side saddle. She's just like the baby is coming any minute. And they're going door to door knocking. Will you please let us in? And in all those pageants, you've got the angry and gave her no room at the end. And then you go to the next row, no room at the end. But that doesn't make any cultural sense. And when you actually read the Bible, all of our stories and ways that we put Christmas together, none of that is in there. It doesn't say those things. We have to look at it, what it is said, and take it through the idea of what is happening culturally. So a famous person is coming back to his hometown. Let's pretend LeBron James' son, Brad Pitt's son, somebody of like a well-known lineage would walk into Mosaic, and you knew who he was. There would be a tension towards the fact that LeBron James' son is now at Mosaic Church. You'd pay attention to that. He would get special treatment. Y'all ask him out for lunch. Y'all don't ask me. That's okay. You're forgiven. I love you. But so all these things would happen. If someone of famous descent were to walk into here, you would pay attention. Now, if that person is from your hometown and you've got lineage in a small town of Bethlehem, everybody's talking. So this isn't like some no-name guy is just walking into town nobody cares about. He is a known commodity in the line of David back into his origin or family of origin. He most likely would have had family in town. He most likely would have had people that were at least known to the family name. And if you read inside of the, uh, a little further into the scriptures, uh, Elizabeth, who's part of the Christmas story, is in town too. So why in the world do we have this story in our mind that 
this extremely overly pregnant Mary walks in. She just wants to give a, have birth to a baby, but no one will let her have a place to do it. So they found some old stable, and she's in a hay, giving birth in hay, and there's like cows over the top of her, super not hygienic. That's the story of Christmas that we've built. Now, some of those things are true. Some of those elements have some truth to them, but a lot don't. Because scripturally, there's a different story that is happening here. In our movies, and our pageants, and everything we put together, we're not putting together the entire verse. So I'm going to show you something you maybe you've never seen before in verse 6. It says this, While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Not while they're approaching Bethlehem. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth which means they're in town. They're already there. And now she came to full term. Now, we don't know how long that is. Was it a week? Was it a month? Was it several months? Were they hanging out with family? Did he say, I'm not going back, Mary. You're about to have this baby. We need to stay put for a while. We don't know. All we know is that while they were there, which means the pilgrimage had ended, the traveling had stopped, and they were staying somewhere, and the time came for her to give birth. She wasn't sleeping. They weren't sleeping in this haystack in a barn somewhere. The time had come while they were there. So this is going to start to blow your mind. You're like, Jason, Christmas is exploded. Thank you for ruining all the pageants. There's no pageants because of COVID, so you're fine. But like, like everything's messed up right now as you start to dig into this. But friends, this is why we read the Word of God. This is why we read and we dig into this beautiful Word and start to say, what can we understand more about Jesus and this story, and because we start to see a story that's unwind is actually more beautiful than a story of a baby born in a barn. The urgency and the people that were there are changed because the urgency that we feel at Christmas time, if we don't get her to a place, now changes to they're just hanging out. They're already there. They've, maybe they've done their census. Maybe they're done. They're now in a relaxed position of already being there. Now, Joseph was a learned man. Joseph would have been able to say, I know how to find a place in my own hometown. I've got connections. Do you think he would leave his place and not have at least some ideas of where he could stay and have some idea of what's going on? So now we take this tension, but wait, there's no room for them. How can they have no room for them at the end or no room for them to stay, but at the same time, you're saying that there is a place for them to stay. It's simple. They stayed in a private home. They stayed in a private home in Bethlehem. They were welcomed in. Now, the inns are places in which we think of public housing. People are coming and going. Travelers are moving all the time. Trade routes, things are being exchanged. People would stay for the night. We see the inn being used multiple times in Scripture as a place of people staying. And so an inn this place is packed because you have all these foreigners coming who are from there, but were outside. Now they're coming back to their hometown. So as they move back into their hometown, all the hotels, if you will, in our terminology, are full. But what we don't know, we haven't considered, is that most houses had guest rooms. So you would have a single-person family home, and in that single-person family home, there would be a guest room. And when we look into uh, in Luke 2.7, the word in... It changes the meaning to the Greek. It goes to katalima, which means an upper room. This upper room is a place that guests would stay. The katalima, or the inn, where the commercial inns were full, but there were still places inside of personal homes for them to stay. And that's where we enter into 
the story. There's a picture here of what a home would potentially look like back in Bethlehem. There would be a main family room that was risen up several steps. That several steps down would be an animal room. The animal room would be separate, but the animals lived inside of the home of some of the people. Now, this is an average home. Now, people who are rich could have big barns and big... That's for rich people. Think about this. This is just average. It's a poor town. So the average person is going to have their animals inside of their homes. The smaller animals would be in the animal room. They may have some larger animals outside. And they would have outside a large feeding trough. But inside, they would have mangers. Mangers were dug in areas inside of the homes in which they would put extra feeding things throughout the night and when they were there. In the lower room, they'd have a small manger, an area dug out in which they'd put hay and straw and things for the smaller animals. Up above, a couple of steps up, they'd put a manger, sometimes risen up, sometimes dug in, for the larger animals to get their heads up and over like a donkey. So if you're three, four stairs up, a donkey would be able to walk in, put his head right into the manger and eat. The smaller animals would be on the ground and they would eat then out of the smaller manger. Inside of that home, for those who could, there'd be an extra home built. In between the, or a room built, in between the family room and guest room, there would be a wall. And that is for people and family who come from out of town. So the inns were full and the guest rooms were full. Everything was booked for them to be able to stay in typical housing. But what we're not looking at is the fact that a family invited them into a home that they had a place to stay, and Mary actually gave birth in a house. Now, I know your mind is blown right now. How do you know this? We have to put it in context of Jewish history. The way of the Middle Eastern culture is different than our culture. The way that we live and the way that we do things is different. They were an extremely hospitable group of people. Their friendliness and hospitality and to invite strangers in when you read the Bible, it's talked about over and over and over again to be hospitable and to welcome strangers, to welcome guests. Jesus talks about it when he says, when you do anything for the least of these, you do it for me. We talk about inviting strangers in and helping and serving. This was part of their culture, and Jesus said, this is actually the way of God. And so within this home, we would see something very different than what's inside of our mind of that time period. Jesus wouldn't have been in what we see a typical barn. We made the barn idea up. He was laid in a manger inside of a home. Now, that home could have been uh, fixated on the top. It could have been in the bottom. They could have brought the outside thing. We don't know. But we know that they were already there. She gave birth at a time that they were there. They wouldn't have been living in a barn for a month or for weeks. There was time it had passed. They had been welcomed in. David, the line of David proves that there is a relationship within a community that this son of an all-star is not going to be laying somewhere else. There would have been room made. Someone else would have gotten kicked out if a lineage of David could not be, a place could be found for them. So we look at this from a completely different concept. If you look at it through these eyes, and you look at that word, the upper room, and the Greek word for katalima, and you start to look at this, we start to think, oh my goodness, there could be a completely different story here, but you don't believe me yet. So I'm going to take you to another Bible verse because the word of God speaks true. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, we get into the story of the wise men. By the way, there weren't three. We made that up. 
There were wise men, yes. But we say the three wise men, we don't know. We didn't count. So, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Then we fast forward. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure, presented his gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They came to the house. They came to a place that they were dwelling in. It wasn't their home. They were in the home of a stranger. They came to the house. The star had led them to the home, to the place in which wherever they were staying, however they were staying, and as the angels had said, he was lying in a manger. And as he was there, they came and they worshipped him because what was told to them was true. Jesus was there. The king was true. The star had spoken and all the prophecy was correct. And they came on that one moment. And these people who were not Jewish who had traveled a long way to find this king that they've been searching for, they bowed down and worshipped him because it was true. Think about that. In our picture, we've got three guys on camels in a barn with Jesus and all these cows over the top of them. There most likely were animals there, yes. Most likely there was hay and straw, yes. But when you look at how the story unveils within Scripture and within culture, it's different. If you want to learn more about this, you can Google search this. There's so much great information about how we have changed the true story of Christmas. Because the story of despair and anxiety and pregnancy and my water burst, I'm about to have a baby and I'm on this donkey and where are we going to go? And, and, and we have this idea that it might be different. The story of despair and, and frustration actually is a story of welcoming acceptance and joy that Mary and Joseph were accepted and welcomed into a town, welcomed into a home, that there was relationship that was happening. They could have been strangers. They could have been friends. We don't know, but they were welcomed. That at Christmas season, you look at it through the lens of what does it look like that if we welcome people who feel like they're outsiders? What does it look like in the Christmas season if people who are outside your realm of comfort, outside your realm of friends, We'll welcome them in. Now, this Christmas is unique because it would be a perfect time to say, invite people over into your home and welcome strangers and do amazing things. But we have COVID. Welcoming isn't just a location into your home. Welcoming is an attitude and a heart of saying you are welcome here. You are accepted. You are in. If you've ever been in a church culture, and maybe this is new to you or you've experienced it in the past, church culture, the number one word I hear is click. Click, 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 click. They're clicks. I see a group of ladies talking over here. I can't get in. I try to get involved with stuff. Nobody calls me back. To me, that is the worst possible thing that we can do as a family. Because as a church family, we are welcomed in by God. At the same time, everyone's welcome. Everybody's welcome. There are no precursors. If we are a welcoming group of people, we're going to actually be in the same line of what happened 2,020 years ago give or take a lot of years. But that is saying this, that we as believers, as a church, even if you're new and exploring and this is new to you, understand this, our God welcomes everybody to a relationship with him. His door is open for everybody. Like the beginning of the story of despair of Mary and Joseph always has tainted 
the Christmas story a little bit. And when I started reading and researching through this years ago and started to look at what was really happening in the Middle Eastern culture, I started to say, this is actually a really awesome story of the beginning of Jesus. And now he is always focused on those who are outsiders. Jesus now calls out those who are outside the, even the realm of his culture and the Jewish people. He, in his ministry, in the red letters, accepts and calls everybody to a relationship with him. And at the same time, when he died and rose again, today he is still welcoming every single one of you to a relationship with him if you want in. The inn is not full when it comes to Jesus. The rooms are not packed when it comes to Jesus. Jesus is not putting you in a barn somewhere to be pushed aside. He welcomes you into relation with him in his home and says, welcome. What would it look like, friends, if you alone started living a life of hospitality, of welcoming, of looking at the outsiders, of looking at broken people, looking at people who don't feel like they have a place or a home, invite them into relationship with you? And that relationship with you can now start to move into next layers. Think of the impact you can make by simply loving those people who are hurting. If one kid would have loved me at that school, my, uh, my life would have been different. My story would have been different. If one kid would have said, hey, Jason, why don't you come sit with me? Everything was different. The story of Christmas doesn't begin with despair. It begins with welcome because all are welcome. You can bring hope into the world. You can be the ones to bring the light into the darkness. You can be the ones to be the advocate of the gospel to let people who are hurting, struggling, broken right now know that Jesus Christ died for them. You are the one that can go into, into your neighborhoods and love that person who is almost unlovable. But maybe you don't know their story. Maybe they've never been welcomed. Maybe they're broken. Maybe they're hurt. You don't know their story. What if you love them? What if you invite them in? What if you create a place where all are welcome? Friends, our story of Christmas begins different. It begins with a journey of Joseph and Mary, an 80-mile journey in which they come to a place and all conventional areas are filled. There's no place for them to go conventional, but somehow, someway, they find a place. And in that place, they are welcome. And Jesus is born into a place where now we see people coming, and when they see him, fall before him and worship him, and he hasn't even said a word yet. That is the king of kings, and that king is coming, and you are welcome to be in his relationship with him. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.